this series. And uh, thank you for the work that you've done in our hearts and our minds and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Have you ever had one of those days where nothing seemed to go right? You know, seriously, I mean, uh, this morning coming in to church, I, I knew the pressure was on. I got Sunday school, you know, I got worship, I got a sermon to preach, and, and I go to print out my sermon this morning, and the, my computer won't talk to the copy machine, and then it won't talk to the other printer, and what am I going to do? And uh, it finally figured it out, and, and all's good, but... Sometimes in life it feels that way. It seems like when we're headed in a good direction that we're faced with some serious challenges. And, and we, we often will ask, God, why, why is this happening in my life? Almost as if, you know, um, we blame him for hard things. And you know what? Honestly, I think, um, I think we can sometimes. Because I think God puts some hard things in our life to teach us and to grow us and to transform us. You know, the soccer team's been conditioning, and my daughter's complaining about conditioning. We're not going to be worth anything when we play. And I said, I trust me, I think the coach has probably got it figured out. But, you know, in their minds, it's just hard work. They don't see the benefits that it is going to pay in the middle of the second half against, I don't know, the third or fourth place team in the state, right? I mean, and, and that's true of our lives as well. And so if you've been feeling the pressure... If you've been thinking, oh man, I don't know if I can handle any more, any more teaching the Lord wants to do, you can, and you are in a good place. You are in a good place, because we're all on this journey together. Um, we have, we've talked about all kinds of things, spiritual, physical, mental, emotional, relational, financial, and today we're going to conclude um, our Transform series by talking about something that you spend 30%, essentially, of your lifetime doing. Um, you know, they say that you spend about 30% of your time at work, about 30% of your time with your family, and about 30% of your time on the internet. Yeah, no, that's, that's not what it says. But sometimes I think it feels that way, right? You know, it's 30, 30, and 30. Work, uh, family, and sleep. And, and it seems to me that, uh, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're a brain surgeon or you're in technology or you're a homemaker or you're in sales, um, whether you work in a classroom, a hospital, or construction life, today what we're talking about is your job. What you do on a daily basis that is your, that is your work. Uh, King Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 18, up here on the screen, it says this, I have noticed one thing at least that is good. You know King Solomon, he, he wrestled with everything. What, what it, where is their meaning in life? He says, it is good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given them. You know, the Bible teaches from cover to cover that work, honestly, is a part of life, that, uh, that, that it's a good thing, that it's, a, it's actually a good gift that we receive from the Lord, our work. Now, I want you to look at something, and it's going to be up here on the screen again, I think. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Did I put that one on? I, it's not. Well, you can turn there, or you can just listen to me read it right here. Genesis 2, verse 15 says this. The Lord God took the man 
and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Have you ever thought about that verse? God put Adam and Eve in the garden. One of the purposes he had of putting them in the garden was to do what? It was to work. You know, oftentimes we think that work came after the fall. It did not. It became harder and more toilsome. But work, we were created. One of the reasons we were created to, for is to work. When's the last time you thought about that? I was created to work. I was created to work. Now, many people throughout the Bible were blue-collar, hard-working, get-your-hands-dirty-and-sweaty kind of people. Um, there's, a, there's a book, it's called Joy at Work, that notes that most of the heroes in the Bible, uh, characters, people, men and women that we would consider heroes, had real jobs. Uh, for instance, Isaac was a real estate developer. Jacob was a rancher. Joseph was a government official in charge of agriculture, the economy, and he also worked for a pharaoh in a foreign land that did not honor Israel's God. He was a blue-collar or white-collar at times worker. Joseph worked. Joseph did not decide he could serve God best by leaving his high-paying government job and starting a nonprofit, faith-based organization to do charity work. He was put in that place by God to work and be a part of that community. Moses spent 40 years as a sheep herder. Esther. Esther won a beauty pageant and went into government service. Joseph did not decide he could serve God best by leaving... Whoops, already read that one. David... David, King David, worked in the military and government. Daniel was an immigrant who attended Babylon's version of Harvard and became prime minister, a government official. Uh, Lydia was a successful businesswoman in textiles. Paul was a tent maker, and perhaps the ultimate expression of how much God values work is Jesus. What did Jesus do for three quarters of his life? He was a carpenter. He worked. He worked. All too often in discussions about our spiritual life or, or growing spiritually or transforming, um, work is never mentioned. In fact, it might even be ignored. Yet we spend 30% of our time doing this thing, or some of us, 40% or 50% or 60%. Now, we've heard messages like, uh, don't work too much, don't work too hard, not too long. And those are good messages, especially if we're somebody who is a workaholic. But work is a huge part of God's plan for our life. And it seems that more and more in our culture, there is a lack of motivation to work. Uh, look at the fourth commandment. It covers all seven days in a week. Exodus chapter 20, verses 9 and 10. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your sons or daughter nor your male or female servant nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns. I mean, how many of us have heard sermons on the Sabbath and that we should keep it and we felt guilty because we weren't, right? But how, I, I've, I've preached sermons like that. But how many of us have ever heard a sermon, although if you've been here for more than five years, you've heard at least one I know of, that we were created to work, and work is a good thing, and it can be a powerful avenue for God to use into the lives of other people around us. We're going to hear that today. The point of today's message, of course, is not by how many days or hours we punch a clock. 
The point is that just as God made and loves the Sabbath, God also made and loves work. Now, let me ask you this. How do you feel about your job? How do you feel about the job that you're in? Statistics tell us that 10 to 20% of you love your job, that you flourish in your job. Statistics would also tell us that 10 to 20% of you absolutely hate the job that you're doing right now. You can't wait, and you see this on Facebook all the time, you can't wait for the end of Friday because Saturday and Sunday are a-coming. And you live your entire week at work waiting for the weekend. Now, honestly, uh, if we look at John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus, when he came to this earth, he said this, I came that they may have what? Life and have it what? Abundantly. Now, does, does struggling through a five-day work week and can't wait till the weekend come, does that sound like living life abundantly? Doesn't sound like it to me. So what then? You know, Jesus came to give us life abundantly, which includes Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, not just Saturday and Sunday. If eight hours out of every day are absolutely miserable for you, I don't think you're living an abundant life. And I think you need to ask some questions. You need to research why, why this is. It could be because you're doing something that you weren't created to do. It could be, it could be that you just need an attitude change and you need to think of this job that you have a little bit differently. Maybe that'll happen today. So today we're going to look at three ideas that we find in the Bible that will help you, help us have more satisfaction and I think a greater feeling of significance and success at our work. Now the title of the message is, is what? <laughs> Outstanding in your field. And, and I want to essentially, as, as we think through this, I want you to think of two comparisons. Are you simply a person who is outstanding in your field? Okay, are you with me? Right? I've, people have said that to me when I was standing out in a wheat field and they pulled up, hey, it looks like you're outstanding in your field. Yes, I am. Or, or are you a person who goes to work every day with the desire and the drive to become outstanding? in your field. Those two things I want you to compare in your minds as we go through this. So the first thing as we, uh, as we do what we're created to do, which is work, is we do it diligently. We should work diligently. Now, I was talking with someone this week about the outline and the, the topics, and they're like, well, that stuff just seems so no-brainer to me. It is. But when is the last time we thought about these things as we drove to work on a, in a morning. Uh, Proverbs 21.5 says this, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. The Bible says it's wise to be diligent at work. Um, diligent workers, that verse says, will be rewarded in some way, shape, or form. They'll be re- rewarded by their fellow workers, by their employers, and ultimately we're going to see by God. This is not a promise of health and wealth, I am not saying that. It's a simple yet profound insight about the way life works. Diligence. Working hard at something. There's nothing worse in my mind than than a bunch of high school boys running laps around the gym to become better basketball players and they're cutting the corners. Why would you do that? You're only hurting yourself, right? Diligently. Diligently. Many of you have, let me give you an illustration of diligence. 
I, I think this story is amazing, and I, I, I knew the name, but I'd never really thought about this. Um, anybody know about the legendary baseball player Cal Ripken? Everybody, a lot of people probably know who Cal Ripken was. Cal Ripken set an astonishing record while playing shortstop and third base for the Baltimore Orioles. Ripken played in 2,632 consecutive baseball games over a 16-year span of time without taking a single game off. Did you know that? Uh, That was news to me. 2,632 straight games. Cal smashed Lou Gehrig's record of 2,130 consecutive days, which people doubted anybody would ever break, and he blew it away by 500 games. How many years does a baseball player play in, five, in 500 games? 163 games a year? That just is amazing to me. Now, Ripken ended his streak, and when he did, he decided to take a rest and sit out a game he was replaced in that game by Ryan Miner, who was eight years old when Ripken started the streak. <laughs> the day he decided to sit out, of the, or- the Orioles were playing the New York Yankees. And when the Yankees heard of Ripken's decision to end his streak, they came out and gave him a standing ovation. These are New Yorkers. They gave him a standing ovation. Yankee catcher Joe Girardi at that time said, we owe it to this guy. He deserves to be recognized for what he's done. And in a press conference after the game, Ripken said this, you're challenged by the game of baseball to do your very best day in and day out, and that's all I've ever tried to do was my very best. That's diligence, isn't it? Now, he didn't, he didn't get the most valuable player that year. Uh, But I think if there was an MDP award, most diligent player, he would have received it. And and I think that we should all make the effort to be the MDP of wherever it is that we're working, whatever it is that we're doing. Ecclesiastes 9, uh, chapter 9, verse 10 says this, whatever you put your hand to do, do it with all your might. Do it with all your might. This text does not say that you have to be the best at the job that you're doing. It simply instructs us to be diligent and to to do our best, whatever we put our hands to. And that will optimize your God-given potential, whatever that is. Because we have all been given gifts and talents and abilities. In fact, this is something, this diligence is something that we can all do. No matter where we are in life, no matter what it is that we're involved in, we can be diligent. In fact, everybody wins when you and I are diligent at our jobs. Everybody does. You do, the, your, your fellow co-workers do, and, and God does. God wins as well. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, that includes work, do it all for the glory of God. Did you know God receives glory when you work hard, when you are diligent at work? I think that's cool. I I think that's a a great verse to think about. God is glorified. Our coworkers are inspired. Have you ever ever been working with someone and and you just, you just, you observe them and you watch them and and, and they just work hard at what they're doing. There's not a lot of idle time and they do the the little things. 
Have you ever walked into a to a bathroom and you're getting ready to go over and wash your hands and you notice somebody else has, has washed their hands and they've washed their hand with a paper towel and, and in 10 seconds before they leave, they wipe the water off the sink before they throw their, their paper in the trash. Have you ever seen somebody do that? Has that ever inspired you to do that? It inspired me. Just think about that little thing. Just, you know, and maybe nobody even really notices it. But... It's doing whatever it is we're doing. And I think our souls are enriched. I mean, there's something to be said, right, at the end of the day when you lay your head on your pillow and you think, you know what, I worked hard today. And you know what, I did my very best today. I didn't cut corners. I, I, I took what God has given me today and I worked hard at it. In fact... As that verse says, with all your might, no one can ask any more than that of you. Right? If we're working at it with all of our might, you did your best, and I think there's tremendous feeling. And I want to remind us again, our best is something that we can all do, no matter what we're doing. Whether it's parenting, whether it's, it's cleaning toilets in a business as a janitor, or whether it's doing heart surgery. I would think especially doing heart surgery, you should do your best, right? But, but I would think we should expect no less of ourselves or anyone else, no matter, what, no matter what they're doing. Now, there is an enemy to diligence that's talked a lot about in the book of Proverbs. Anybody know what that enemy is? It's called laziness. It's called laziness. Look at Proverbs twelve twenty four. It says this, work hard and you'll become a leader. You'll probably be promoted. Be lazy and become a slave. Laziness sometimes finds its way into our life, doesn't it? We just get tired, and it's like, you know what? I'm just going to do the bare minimum today. And we just hope that maybe nobody notices. Um, Proverbs 13.4 says this, Lazy people want much, but they get little. But those who work hard will prosper. I I read this week about a guy, he says, I give 100% every week. I give 12% on Monday, 23% on Tuesday, 20% on Wednesday. He just sort of divvies it up during the week. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatever you put your hand to do, do it with all your might. All, let's be all your might people. People with diligence. Now, The interesting thing about diligence is that you can decide this morning for yourself that that's who you're going to be. That's not in my control. That's not in your husband's control or your wife's control or your dad's control or your mom's control. That's in your control. So all you seniors that are going to graduate next week, when you go off to college or or work or whatever it is that you can do, you have a decision to make. Am I going to do this excellently and with diligence or am I just going to kind of go along for the ride and hope I get a diploma at the end of that period of time or a paycheck at the end of that period of time? You know, some of us, you just need to decide to show up a little more promptly. You're supposed to start work at 9, be there at 8.45 or 8.55. My dad always said, if you're on time, you're late. If you're early, you're on time. Now, of course, I don't operate that way all the time, but I try to. Maybe, maybe you're somebody who works in an area or a, a business or a service thing where, where they need people to volunteer to do extra things. Be that guy. Be that woman. Say, hey, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. I mean, have you, have you ever 
this just drives me crazy. I'm working on something, maybe it's a car, maybe it's mowing the lawn, and, and there's people sitting around watching me. And there are things that they could help me with. And in my mind, they should just come up and say, hey, could I help you with that? Hey, could I do this? I mean, hooking up a trailer, right? Have you ever, have you ever had a partner hooking up a trailer? And they just sort of stand there and stare at you as you run back and forth from the cab and you get her all lined up and they're not cranking it down or up or anything like that. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced the opposite where somebody was just willing to jump in and help and do and they're looking for things and they're not sitting around and they're not standing around and if there's boards that need to be carried like at work groups or, or project one is a huge thing for this. And, but generally we're thinking this is a day. I can give myself for a day and, and that's our mentality. But what if that was our mentality every day? How do you think, how outstanding do you think you would be I think people would notice it. I think God would use that in the lives of other people. As you are diligent. Because honestly, we see that every day, right? Coaches know the kids that give the extra. You know, uh, bosses know the employees. Now, hopefully, bosses, you're not taking advantage of employees that do that. So that's number one. Number two, Another way to do what we were created to do and to be outstanding in our field is to develop ourselves. Take responsibility to get better. You know, it, it is amazing, but, but Scripture speaks to this. 1 Timothy chapter 4, 14 and 15 says this, Do not neglect your gift. See, we've all been given gifts, talents, spiritual gifts. Timothy says, do not neglect your, your gift. And then he goes on to say this, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your what? Progress. Progress. As we're developing ourselves or being developed or being shaped, being grown, being transformed by God, Timothy says, or Paul says to Timothy, number one, you've been given a gift. You've been given a passion. You've been given something that you're good at. Use that diligently. And on top of that, you need to work hard at that. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see that you are growing. I talked to a young man who, who took a job at a, at a civil engineering firm in Warland a couple days ago. And I said, hey, how's the new job going? And he said, man, it's just learning right now. I mean, that's his major in school is, is civil engineering. And, and I said, you know, that's the truth about any job, isn't it? I mean, you may have this education and these things that you know, but, but when you start a job, honestly, then I think the learning really begins, if you're willing to. I think you can go into a job and think you already know it all, and that you're going to teach them how to do this, and what's going to happen? You're going to be looking for another job, probably. Develop yourselves. Does, let me ask you this. Does anyone know who the first person in the Bible who was filled with the Spirit of God was? Think about that. This person, uh, according to, to Pastor John Smith, this person was the first person in the Bible who was filled with the Spirit of God. Tell someone. Turn to somebody next to you and tell them who you think it was. No, right now, go. Really. You can talk out loud. Who do you think the first person who was filled with the Spirit of God was? All right, it wasn't Adam. It wasn't 
Noah or Abraham or Joseph or Moses or Elijah or David or Daniel or Mary or Jesus or Paul or Jonah or the whale? It was Bizalel. Did anybody say Bizalel? Raise your hand. What? No, you did not. Bizalel was not a prophet, he was not a priest, he was not a king, he was not a, desire, a disciple, he was a craftsman. Skilled in design, and he had an eye for color and for management. And when God wanted the tabernacle built for the people of Israel, God, call, God called Bizalel. Uh, look with me, Exodus 31, verses 2 through 5. It says this, See, I have chosen Bizalel, son of Uri, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. With wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Could you imagine being Bizalel growing up? And you have these desires, and you have these passions, and you find out that you're good at certain things. Who would even have guessed as a young child that God was developing this in you for a time to come? That's exactly what happened to, to Bizalel. From, from early on, Bizalel had these passions. God placed these desires and these abilities. What happened if Bizalel would have thought to himself, hmm, you know what, I'm, never, I'm, I'm not really that great at music, but I really want to make it happen in my life. Maybe he wanted to be a rock star, right? But he couldn't sing. You know, I would guess that Bizalel's parents were a part of bringing him up and noticed that he was good at certain things and encouraged him to go in certain directions. Don't we do that with our children? I mean, as a good parent, that's what we should be doing. We, sh- we shouldn't think to ourselves, which I did at one time, I was a, I was a basketball player, I loved basketball, man, my kids are going to be basketball players, and I should make them play basketball. You don't know how hard it was for me when my daughter was a freshman and she said, Dad, I don't want to play basketball. That was hard. Now, we wanted her to do something. We said to our kids, you, you, you need to do something. So we gave her the option. Piano or basketball, you choose. $750 later and a trip to Wheatland and back to pick up a piano, she picked a piano. And honestly, she's going to use that way longer in life and is pretty good at it. Now, I think she was kind of good at basketball, too. I mean, that's just a dad's perspective. But she has developed or has a skill. Some of you have probably heard her play before to play the piano, and that's something that she can use to the glory of God for the rest of her life. Basketball, yeah, really, not so much. And if, if we had made her play basketball, she would have done it, but she would have been miserable. That coach, you know, in Lingle, he's just too serious about all of that. (laughs) 
So Bezalel grew up with these talents and, and I'm sure honed them and, and bettered himself to the point of where God says, I'm going to fill you with the Spirit and you are going to design these things that are going to be in my tabernacle. So I think that we should all seek to discover the gifts that God has given us, to discover the strengths that he has given us. Not, not looked at, Now, we all have weaknesses and areas where we need to get better at. But, but let's not focus on that one thing that we're really bad at, that we want to be really good at, because we think that it will somehow make us into something. Let's find the things that God has gifted us to do, and let's do those things. Let's do those things. I mean, when you look at the stage and you see, you see the, the musicians up here, and, and Jenny didn't play drums today, but I, I hear people often comment. Some, you know, think she's too loud, of course. Um, some, some are amazed and can tell. Well, really, the volume of the drums on a Sunday morning go up with how much you can see her worshiping and getting into the music, doesn't it? I mean, it's her passion. And God has given her that. And it is amazing to see everyone that's on the stage or in life. You know, when you see, when you, when you have a teacher that just, man, they are gifted at that. And they, they, they teach passionately. And if you've ever been in one of their classes, you're just amazed at how much you learned. And how sort of upset you were at times about the amount of work that they gave you. But when you came out of that class, you knew stuff. And, and we've, we've got people in all over in our church. You know, there's, there's people that, that pray faithfully. I mean, to see Gary get up here and the passion. Did you sense that? He believes in it. And wants us to be a part of that as well. And we've, we've got a group of people who are teaching other peoples in the Stevens ministry class. And, and we're going to graduate a class come next month. And, and, and those people are going to begin to give the gifts and strengths and learning that they have put in over the last many months to glorify God. And, and to love people and to care for them and help them through life. I mean, look around you. There are people that God has gifted to do many things. Some of us need to dust some of those things off. Some of us need to realize that we are all to be ministers and that we all have a gift. Speaking is that one, one of those things that, that I do, that God has, I believe, gifted me to do. And, and, you know, some people say, well, what do you do the rest of the week? You know, you only work on Sunday. <clears throat> Hey now, <laughs> Sunday is a lot of work, but there is a lot of preparation before that. I mean, there's studying and listening to other sermons and reading of books and, and, and prayer and, and, and then taking all of that and deciding what not to say. And Lord, what, what, what do you want the people to hear? And, and fortunately, I can just come in the spirit and I can trust that he's going to do the work in your heart and not me. But it, it's work. And who would honestly want a pastor or an employee or a son or a daughter who just does the bare minimum of what you've asked them to do? 
hey, ki- hey, son, go mow the lawn. And he goes and mows the lawn. And, and when you come back, the lawn's mowed, but the trimming's not done, and the lawnmower's sitting outside, and the bag's full of grass, and, and there's grass all over the sidewalk. You didn't even bother to run the lawnmower down the sidewalk and at least blow it off the sidewalk, right? I mean, but when you, but when you ask somebody to do something and they go that just little bit extra, don't you just go, wow, thanks. I just appreciate that. You know, the Bible agrees with that spirit of commitment to whatever it is that we do. Which is why in the book of Proverbs twenty two twenty nine it says this, Do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of low rank. A more modern translation of that verse says this, Observe people who are good at their work. Skilled workers are always in demand and admired. They don't take a back seat to anyone. It's true. It's true. So what would it take to increase your skill and your strengths in whatever it is that you do? You know, some people in the last five months have taken a a spiritual gifts class. They've said, you know what? I don't know what my spiritual gift is. I want to learn what that is. Maybe that's a step one. Maybe you need to talk with some friends or or, um, some family members and say, man, what what am I good at? My daughter is wondering what she should do with the rest of her life, right? She needs to make that decision when she's 18 years old and headed to college. So she says this. She's, this is the decision that she's made. She doesn't know what she's going to major in, but she's going to minor in Spanish. Why would you minor in Spanish? You haven't taken Spanish for three years. I don't know. She just has this thing about Spanish. I think what's going to happen is she's going to get to school and she goes, she's going to, well, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe the Lord is doing something in her and has put this seed in there and she's going to be a bilingual teacher or missionary or something. You know, maybe. I don't know. But, but maybe you feel like you've been sort of just stuck where you are at. And, and, and it's just sort of the same old, same old. Well, what could you do to step up your game, so to speak? There's all kinds of resources online. You can listen to sermons. You can attend seminars for free. Um, in fact, I guess, uh, did I put that in here? Um, iTunes carries free Harvard Business Review classes that are free. I mean, there, there are ways in which we can sort of poke ourselves or help each other grow. I guarantee you those in the Stevens Ministry training are growing and sometimes think that I don't think I could grow anymore. Honestly, we just have to care enough to do it. Maybe, you know, every, just about every job talks about continuing education, right? You should go do this. Maybe you're a farmer, you know. I've, I've been to farmers' houses and I've seen the Farm Journal or other farming magazines. Well, what is the purpose for those? It's not entertainment. I love, and I don't remember if it's the Farm Journal or not, but I love the homemade, the, the sort of the, the inventor section of, it's Farm Journal, isn't it? Do you not love that section? It's like, look at these things that these dumb farmers, as our culture sometimes refers to them as, have created and built. I mean, necessity is the mother of all invention, right? They see this need and then they, they make it. But they may have had to learn some things along the way. 
I mean, I never lack for spice in my own personal life because something's always breaking down or something's going out and I need to fix it and I'm too cheap to hire somebody to fix it. So where do I go? Where do I turn? YouTube. (laughs) Or my neighbor. Well, generally for tools. But, you know, I could not learn that, but I love learning how to do new things. I'm not afraid of that. I took the whole front end out of my car for crying out loud. Some guys looked at that and they're like, are you crazy? Well, maybe. I haven't had to put it back together yet. Diligence, learning, and the third thing is this. And, and you know, this, our, our culture, I think, maybe you think differently, but we need to have integrity. I mean, honestly, this should go without saying, but sometimes in our culture today, it has to be an intentional motive for us to be a man or woman of integrity. There is so much that our culture lets slide today. And we can just get caught up in that. You know, we need to keep commitments to our boss to work a full day. You know, we don't fudge our time up 15 minutes or 10 minutes. We don't round off. And bosses, this means you too. Treat your employees fairly. You know, if you, if, if you take two days a week off, give your employees at least one. Right? I mean, be fair. And employees, honor your supervisor. And that means being honest with business accounts and things like that, commitments to follow through on promises that you've made to customers or clients. It's amazing to me, but it's fairly common knowledge that in the retail industry, that more is stolen from employees every year than shoplifters. It seems like the integrity deficit is bigger than our national deficit, and that's pretty big. Now, I honestly think that it's just a no-brainer that people would be honest. And sometimes that burns me. And I mean, I, I, think that, I would think that most people would know the difference between right and wrong. I mean, the the rules have been the same, right? For thousands of years at your workplace, don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat, don't misrepresent yourself or your product, your company, don't break the law, don't break your promise, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I mean, it's not a big mystery, really. It's, It's, in fact, it's not probably a mystery to any of us in this room, but maybe this morning is a good reminder. Sometimes we have to be intentional about being men and women of integrity. Besides the fact that integrity is the right thing to do, Proverbs remind us it's also the biblical thing to do. Proverbs 10.9 says this, whoever walks in integrity walks securely. Think about that. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely. It means that if you're a true if if you're all about the truth all of the time, you are you are living your life on a strong foundation. I saw a bumper sticker one time that says, I don't have to remember what I said because I told the truth. 
Proverbs 11.1 1 says this, The Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with him. You know, the agricultural industry understands this. They have certifiers that have to go around all over the country and test the scales at granaries and, and stores to make sure what? That they're accurate. Why would they want to do that? So people don't get ripped off. So that there's an honest weight being done here. I, I heard a story once about a, well, um, uh, Daryl Werger, when he was alive, he was the sheriff of Goshen County for a long period of time, and he said there was, a, there was a guy that was stealing hay, and what he would do is he would go across the scales and weigh it, and then between there and unloading, he would take the top layer off and hide it. And the, the, the rancher, he didn't know any different, really, and then he'd come back and weigh and go on. I could never live with myself. It would eat me alive. The Lord detests dishonest scales or the proverbial, you know, sticking your finger on the scale. Or why do, why, when you pull in to unload wheat, why do they want to make sure that, that you're either on or off when you weigh in and when you leave? Right? It's reasonable. It's, it's truthful. Um, there's a lot of ways to not... Um, be a man or woman of integrity in the workplace today. It could be overcharging customers. It could be intentionally underbidding a job. It may be massaging the books, cheating on your taxes, stealing from an employer. I mean, it's only a few paper clips, right? It's only a few rolls of tape. I'm sure they sort of expect me to take this stuff home. <laughs> no, they don't. What do you mean, Mr. Lashley? You only have 12 math books. There should be 15. Well, I took a few home. I no. Um, and and of course, yeah. Sorry, only Mr. Lashley got that joke. Um, and those of you that really hate math, um, you you did what? You stole a math book, really? Um, and and of course, the deceit of Satan is true because you you start to think to yourself, well, nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to find this out. The government's not going to audit me or ever find out. It was just a few thousand dollars or a few hundred dollars. And I mean, when you have integrity, when you do what's right, who really notices then anyway? I mean, why would I do something that didn't benefit me or give me glory? Why would we do that? Because God calls us to do that. It's being a child of his. It's this transformation that happens. And the final observation that I want to make this morning is, and we've tried to emphasize it, and I hope we have every week, is that this, we don't, we don't do all of the things that we've been talking about for the last seven weeks out of sheer discipline and because we're just good. It's all under the submission of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and in mine. And we need to be sure every day that we are surrendering and submitting to that. And you think about somebody that gave it all at their job, if you want to look at it this way. Jesus came here to do something. He came here to save us. He sacrificed a lot. He experienced a lot of pain and agony and, and um, abuse. It was for you and for me. 
he died, he, he died on that cross, and there was a time when he said, Lord, Father, if, if, if you can remove this from me, please do. But he knew ultimately that was his obedience to what he was here for that would change the universe. And it did. And I want to encourage you, if, if you're in a place where you just don't understand what's going on, and, and we've, we talk about Jesus on Sunday mornings, but you're just not real sure, man, write that on a Connect card. Let us, let us answer questions that you might have and, so that you can understand what it means to surrender, to believe, and to have your life absolutely changed and transformed by the creator of the universe. Now, I don't believe that you being in this room is a coincidence or listening online is a coincidence. So the Lord wanted to speak something into your heart and into your mind today. He has his reasons. God has a reason for you being in a small group right now. God has a reason for you maybe thinking that you wished you were in a small group right now. You know, there's a a reason he's been convicting you or that you need to get involved in serving or something. He's doing a work in your heart and in your mind. Won't you surrender to that this morning? And then as I close this morning, Joyce is going to come up and I I want you to to read this verse right here. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says this, whatever you do, whatever it is that you're working at, Whatever your job is, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. I mean, that can sound so super religious or whatever, but it's true. When we are living our lives the best that we can, it's to glorify our Father in heaven. And when we live that way, you know, if people want to be critical because we did something wrong, fine. But don't criticize my effort. I hope that that never happens. Because ultimately, we are all responsible to God. So I want you, as you head home today, and as you, maybe, maybe it's even today you have to head out to work. I want you to I want you to think about what it would mean for me tomorrow to go to work and think, you know what, I'm not working today for my boss or for the people that I serve, but for my Heavenly Father. And be diligent Look for ways to get better at what you do. And let's serve our Father. And I think what will happen, even in times of hard work and sweat and pain, you will, you will at the end of the day think, you know what, Lord? Today I put my hand to it and I did my best. Thank you for today. Because everything that we have is from him, right? Our minds, our health, our money, as we talked about last week. I pray that the transformation doesn't stop today. That you continue as we continue on. We talk about other subjects and other biblical concepts that you will realize that you were created to work and that's a good thing.
let's stand and as we close today looks like maybe on time let's sing this from our hearts if it's true okay we're going to sing and close with the creed proclaiming that this I believe and my hope and prayer is that as we go off into the week that we don't just believe this in our heads but as we live our life every day it, it works and manifests itself to those around us.